Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Good morning, let me have my welcome. My name, we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller, it's lovely to have you here with us. Let's pray as we turn to this part of Colossians. Our Father, you give us here a very lovely picture of a church which will be a delight to be a part of where there is forgiveness and compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience with one another. And uh, when we're thinking rightly, we long to be this sort of people. And so help us, help us understand how, how you move us in this direction. Give us a vision for this. And would we become increasingly, by degree, this sort of church, for our delight, for the honour of your name, for the witness to a watching world, we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know, a fancy dress, I don't know if that's your thing, if you still go for fancy dress, or if that was something you left long ago, uh, teenage years, student years, uh, toga parties and the like. Uh, But you know how it is with uh, fancy dress, You, you dress up and you assume a certain role as a clown as a cowboy, whatever it may be. Uh, You get the outfit and and off you go. But only briefly, and then you take it off and um, carry on with normal life. It's that sort of metaphor that that dominates uh, what we're looking at today, this little section of uh, chapter 3 and verses 8 to 17. Put off, put on. Some, if you're English and uh, of a certain vintage, remember Mr. Ben, put on his costume and have adventures dressed up as whatever it was, a doctor, a rodeo, 
uh, cowboy, whatever it may be. Put off, put on. So you get in the centre of this uh, little section today, a classic sort of biblical way of thinking. There's an indicative, here's what's been done, and then an imperative, here's how you live. So here's the metaphor that dominates, uh, so chapter 3, verse 10. You have put on the new self. It's happened. Verse 12. Therefore, clothe yourselves. You've put on a new set of clothes, if you're a Christian. Therefore, clothe yourself like this. It's happened. Live that way. That's the emphasis that's uh, going on. There's been a significant change. You have put off one way of life. You've put on another. Now, act appropriately is really the big idea that Paul's going to bang. Um, so you can think of it this way, imagine a, a professional soldier, he's in the British Army or the Army, and uh, is that way until he's about 30 years old, and he decides, enough of that, and uh, retrains as a medic, and uh, qualifies, and uh, five years later he's on the wards patrolling around, and then he just has a sort of brief flip out, a sort of uh, existential crisis, who am I, what am I doing here, and so just start shouting at some of the patients, some of these old phrases come back to his mind. Right, you horrible lot, get your lazy butts out of that bed or I'll start bouncing on your bones like a trampoline. And uh, whips out a gun and starts shooting all around the ward until someone calms him down and escorts him to another sort of ward. And says, no, no, you put aside the soldier, do you not remember? You are a soldier no more, you are a medic now. Act like a medic, please, not as a soldier. And that again is the picture that Paul is using here in Colossians 3. You've put off an old way of life. Verse 9. You have put on the new self, being renewed in the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, clothe yourself appropriately. Live that way. Now if you're joining us or jumping in, uh, we're working our way uh, for much of this term through this book of Colossians. Uh, the Apostle Paul then is writing it to uh, the church in Colossae, a group of Christians who had been a bit unsettled. Uh, they thought they were going okay, and then some other teachers have arrived and said, well, you've made a reasonable start under what you've been taught, but now let us help you push on to maturity. We have existential or exciting, ecstatic visions, and we, we, that's the way we think you become mature as a Christian. We find ascetic, legalistic rules really help you grow as a Christian. Those are two elements. To which Paul keeps on saying, no, 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 no. You have all you need. You've been taught all you need. Jesus Christ is all you need. Stick with him. That is the way you grow in maturity. And so uh, uh, chapter 3, he's really talking about how then do you change? And so we looked at the first seven verses last week. Chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you've been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above. You're different. When you become a Christian, spiritually, you're raised. There is a, a resurrection within you. Spiritually, God's power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is now within you to change you, to transform you. You're different. You're not the same as you were beforehand. And really now, uh, verse 8 all the way to the end of this chapter and beyond, he's going to apply that same truth, you're different, to a whole variety of relationships. So here today, chapter 8, uh, excuse me, verses 8 to 17, the church, you're different, so you'll be different in church. Uh, and then next week, uh, uh, verses 18 to 21, you'll be different in your family. 
uh, next chapter, uh, from the end of the chapter to the beginning of chapter 4, you'll be different at work. And in chapter 4, you'll be different with outsiders. So this same truth, you've been absolutely transformed. It applies to church, to family, to the office, the workplace, and then to people, to outside world, if you will. And uh, we'll have a week on each one. But I guess his point here is if, if you want to be mature as a Christian, that is not a solitary activity. You don't get mature sitting in a room on your own because maturity is seen in how you relate to other people. It's seen in relationship. Try and keep it simple. Uh, Again, there's this uh, indicative, then imperative. You have put on the image of Christ, past events taken place. Therefore, so, clothe yourself with Christ. Secondly, let's just turn to them both. First then, you have put on the image of Christ. Let's go back and read verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Get rid of your old practices. Lots of sins of speech spoken of in uh, verse 8, summarized, don't lie. Put the, just don't do that anymore, because you've taken off that set of clothes and you've put on a new set of clothes. And he says, look, before you were a Christian, you probably didn't even realize quite how unpleasant some of that behavior was of rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. You just thought, well, everyone tells a bit of lies, who cares? He says, now you're a Christian, you should realize it's, that's deeply unpleasant and inappropriate. One of my uh, little jobs growing up uh, as a teenager, a bit of uh, pocket money, I worked in a fish restaurant uh, the weekend, Friday night and uh, all day Saturday. And uh, it was tolerably fun, I guess, as a part-time job. Uh, but normally on a Saturday, you do a shift about 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. in a fish restaurant in the kitchens, uh, get home. Don't be rude. I stank. You know, fish smells. You spend 12 hours cooking, frying, grilling fish. You stink. It's just how it is. You stink. And so I'd get in at night and my parents would go, Ugh! and uh, the clothes I'd been wearing, my chef's whites would be just simply thrown out the back door. I would be thrown into the shower, uh, bed, fine. And you get up the next morning. Would I put those clothes back on? They stank. They stank. You've been in them all day. You're kind of used to it. Yeah, I mean, they're not great, but it's not awful. Only someone else says, oh, it's awful. The next day, oh, you must be joking. Even you know, using some tongs to put them in the washing machine was a painful enough. They stank. Horrible. Because I'd put them off. I'd put off fish boy and I'd become Sunday man, whatever that was, uh, age 16. Just very different, different clothes. And that's Paul's point. When you become a Christian, there is a decisive break with your old life. Don't go back to it. Don't live how you were before. You should see there's a difference now. You've put on the new self. Has happened. Past event. You're wearing new clothes, he says. Now, a couple of other things worth noticing about this, uh, about these clothes in uh, verse 10. If I can put it this way, first of all, they don't fit you yet. There's a sense in which these new clothes are a bit like age 11 being given a school blazer. Uh, if you went to that sort of school, and you know, age 11, you're given the blazer, and it's sort of, 
you know, on the sleeves. It's sort of dangling down here and it doesn't quite fit you. And your mother says, immortally, is those classic words, you'll grow into it. I want to get good value for money out of the next four years, out of that blazer. You'll grow into it. It doesn't matter if it's dangling round your knees at the moment. And it doesn't quite fit you. And you can tell the new kids at school because they're the ones with the blazers trailing on the ground. And there's that sort of sense here. Because Paul says, you've put on the new self, verse 10. But it is being renewed. You're not perfect yet. You're, You're growing into this new self this new being that you've become. You're being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. In knowledge. Throughout this letter, that is a crucial requirement for maturity. We've had it a couple of times already. Chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 3. You don't grow up as a Christian just by daydreaming, I think Jesus Christ is like this. He reveals himself. He tells us what he's like. And you've got to know him if you're going to grow up. You grow in knowledge. And you grow uh, into the image. You grow to become like him. And that's true of every Christian. Slowly. Growing more like Jesus Christ. It takes time. It's not perfect. But that is what's taking place now. You're different, he says. So the clothes don't quite fit. But also, again, verse 11. This is, this is something we do together. I have to admit, I was reading this and verse 11 sort of tripped me up a little bit. What's this here for? Okay, you're being renewed. And then, okay, there's no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. Who cares? Uh, what, why is that there? You don't need it. Get the tipex. Apart from, I get now, he's saying, you do this together. And in a context where he's now going to go on to talk about relationships, you've got to know that this, this new set of clothes, it radically affects how you relate to other people. Now this list here, verse 11. Back then, if you were a Greek, you, were in, you, you probably assumed yourself intellectually superior to the other people around you. It's the sort of elite language of the day. It doesn't matter if you're in Colossian, it's a classically Latin-speaking town. If you spoke Greek, you're educated. Or if you were a Jew, you thought yourself morally superior. What Paul is saying here is, whoever we are, there are certain elements of our background, of who we are, that we slightly define ourselves by. And you've just got to put them to one side. Or I guess in, you know, for us today, it'd be a bit different. But uh, our race, our education, uh, the sort of job we do, they define us, obviously. And they can erect little barriers that make it a bit tricky to climb beyond. I mean, it's a wild caricature. Two people. One is uh, a woman who is uh, white, British, highly educated, PhD in rocket science, earns a ridiculous amount of money in the city doing her derivative equations and algorithms in the back room, not talking to anyone, just crazy equations, uh, but earns a, a great whack of money, gets chauffeured around. Uh, and then there's this guy who is, uh, uh, he's an immigrant from Bangladesh, he's barely got any English, and he's a pot washer in a restaurant just around the corner uh, in the city. Now for these two to meet, 
This is quite hard. He cycles to work. She's chauffeured to work. There are certain barriers. If they're going to become friends, that they have to climb across. He's probably going to be intimidated by her, her education, her wealth, and she may instinctively be condescending to him. But there's barriers to overcome. And Paul is saying here, no, no matter, of course, you can't avoid that. I am whatever it is, you know, uh, I'm white, Texan, I, you know, whatever, I'm black, Moroccan, whatever it is, whatever it is, these things, they're true of us. You know, but they're not as significant, he says, as the facts, verse 11, you're in Christ. And the way that these two imaginary people can meet and get on is saying, well, we're very different, aren't we? But we're Christians. And therefore, we have the most significant thing in common. And so who cares where you got your degree from and where I buy my spices? What does it matter? We have Christ. Now, he's realistic here. He is saying it takes a bit of effort to overcome those barriers. But you can do it if you belong to Christ. You're different now. You've put on the image of Christ. Secondly, so clothe yourself with Christ. Verses 12 to 17. Look at this lovely list of, uh, of what the Christian is now. Verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, wonderful. Marks of the new identity. Who cares if you're a Jew or a Greek or a Scythian or a barbarian? You're chosen, you're holy, you're loved. That's who you are. Wonderful. Live this way. Clothe yourselves with uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. A lovely list of five virtues in contrast uh, to the five unsavoury characteristic ugly sins of uh, verse 8. And what has this list got in common? I guess it's all a number of things, a number of virtues where we, what would you say, where we esteem others more than ourselves? Something like that. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What does it mean, put them on? I have no doubt you could go into Camden, Soho and buy a t-shirt with compassion and put it on. Uh, he doesn't mean that. He just means live this way. Relate to one another in this sort of way. This is how you've been treated. Now treat others in this sort of way. So compassion is one example. It's, a, it's one of my favourite words in Greek, visceral term. It's splachnar. It means from the guts. It means you really, you really care about this. You're really involved in someone. They're painful. Oh, it really upsets you. It gets you in the gut. They're delighted. Oh, great. You're satisfied with them. Compassion. Jesus uses it of himself ten times. In the Good Samaritan story, the, the father, when his son finally returns to him, is overwhelmed with compassion and runs out to him to concern uh, for the other. Put these things on. Be other person centred, he says. But then there's this fabulous realism of verse 13 and onwards. Oh, look, bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have. <laughs> I just enjoy the realism here. A wonderful list. Treat one another like this. Oh, and just when someone's really annoying, just get over it. That's what he's saying. 
because we are annoying people. It's kind of how it is. You know the now story of the uh, uh, the man who's been stranded on a desert island for years. He finally gets rescued. There are three huts on the beach, and the rescue party says, "Oh, what are these three huts?" And one says, "Oh, that's my home." Okay, what's the second one? Well, that's my church. Okay, odd. What's the third one? That's the church I used to belong to, but I had to leave there. I got a bit upset. Uh, and he's only there on the island on his own. Well, we can do that. We can have sort of get upset. It's not hard to do. So the. A whole number of things were flooded. Let me just give you these first two to begin with them. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Bear with one another. Now that isn't a stoical, I will endure you even though I loathe you. Uh, obviously it's a bit more than that. It's, it's a list, it comes after this list of virtues for those who are clothed in compassion, gentleness, etc. But there's just honesty here. Because in a church, you know, there have been time to time I'll have a conversation where someone will say, look, you know, with Molly at church, I'm just really upset by her. She's treated me unfairly. I think she's being unreasonable, unkind. I'm really upset. You say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But um, what do you expect? Because we're unreasonable. We're all capable of being unreasonable. And that doesn't sound like you were treated brilliantly there. And you probably want to talk to her about it, but also you just need to get over it, actually. If you only have friends, those who love you perfectly, you won't have many friends. You've just got to be realistic about that. Because we're not perfect. So bear with one another. What does that look like? I can cross a whole number of things. Bear with people who have different temperaments to you. You know, there's a whole variety of temperaments. It's quite easy to be annoyed with someone who's different. So some of us are sort of more inherently tiggers and some eels, if you know you're Winnie the Pooh. So some are tiggers and wonderful things. Their legs are bouncing full of springs and they sort of bounce around. And some are eels and how are you? Well, it's been a bit hard. Um, you know, eat cactuses and that sort of thing. And you can easily just be annoying someone who's different to you. You think, oh, here he comes. I just can't be doing with his heartiness this morning. He's just too hearty. He's always hearty. Or just, oh, it just annoys me. Or the other side of it, why are they so glum? They're always glum. Oh, they're wandering over again. He's just a morale hoover. I can't deal with him this morning. He's just so glum. We're different, just bear with different temperaments. You know, you adjust, just bear with, don't get too wound up. And there can be tensions, all sorts of tensions in a church. Sometimes it can be between those who perceive themselves as utterly you know, committed and, and involved in serving and those who perceive themselves as just wildly busy. And this group can look around at church and say, or think to themselves, what's their problem? Why can't they just be committed and serve and rather than sort of drift in and out and lazy? And these people, why can't they just get off my back? They don't know how hard I'm working. They don't know how busy I am. No one understands me but me. That's probably kind of true. No one probably understands you or your life setting or knows what's going on in your life in the same way you do. Just be patient with one another. Bear with one another. What are you practically going to do? If someone does upset you, 
Don't moan about them behind their back or in your head. Have a conversation with them gently. You've got to be realistic. Sometimes people get it wrong. They say the wrong thing. They do the wrong thing. And so do you at times. No one gets it right all the time. So you have a choice. You either sit there and think, oh, they really said the wrong thing to me today and stew on it for a week. Or think, they said the wrong thing to me today. That was a bit daft. But they're not the devil. It's okay. I get over it. I'm not going to let it ruin my week. They're basically a pretty good bloke who said something daft once. That's a bit different from, they're awful. And that's how you characterize them in your head. Just bear with them, he says. Or, or even, so I guess, even a step up, forgive. Given the motivation here is still in verse 13. Forgive, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How does God forgive you? Well, he does so proactively. He takes the first move. He does so undeservedly. You don't deserve it in any sense of the word. He does so repeatedly, even though we sin and mess up again and again and again. That sort of way, someone wrongs you, forgive them proactively, make the first move, undeservedly, though they don't deserve it, repeatedly. That sort of thing, that's what he's suggesting here. Keep going with it. But yet people don't so often, do they? A little while ago, someone said to me, I, I want you to know that I've now forgiven you for what you said to me a year ago. Now what do I do? What did I say a year ago? I can't say, what did I say to you a year ago? Because you're so deeply offended by it, you'd be even more offended that I don't even know that I've offended you. What do I say? I said, oh, thank you. Because part of me wanted to say, why did it take you a year? Why didn't you just come and talk to me about it? But then I'm just as guilty. Uh, for us and our family, uh, November, December was a, was a rough time when we uh, said goodbye to uh, baby Yasmin, who'd been in our family for a while and, you know, we viewed as our daughter. And we were very upset and distressed by that. And there's one friend in particular, a long-standing friend, a closest friend, I would have said in some senses, just did nothing. Knew everything that was going on, no text, no messages, nothing. And I just found myself thinking, well, that's it. Stuff you. Stuff you. I don't need you. If that's your friendship, that's it. We're done. It's over. And you encounter something like this and think, well, oops, I'm commanded to forgive as God forgave me. Was I unreasonable? Yes. Did I perpetuate an unreasonable situation? Yes. Did I deserve forgiveness? No. And still I'm to forgive him? Yes. Okay. Okay. And I guess we have a choice. I have a choice, don't we? When we're angered, do we sort of just burn with resentment and get irritated and cut the person off? Or do we put on the character of Christ and forgive them? And Paul says, put on the character of Christ and forgive. Verse 13, 14 rather, all of these are put, held together by love. Overall, these virtues put on love, not I think the most important, but like a rope, it holds them together. In simple terms, as Peter would put it, 1 Peter 3, love covers over a multitude of sins. Just let it go, often is the thing to do. 
So that the two big imperatives, and then there are three other things as we finish. Here's, I think, how we move towards this sort of character. So put on the character of Christ. Excuse me, you have put on the image of Christ. Therefore, clothe yourself with Christ. It looks a bit like this. You bear with one another. You forgive one another. You love one another. How do we move in that direction? Last three things as we finish. First, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not a sort of sense of mm, internal harmony, but that is in relationships in a church, peace is more important than getting your way, than asserting yourself. Let peace win. Daft tangent, I just share my embarrassment with you on this. The, uh, I was writing this on, on Friday morning. I tend to write most sermons in coffee shops. I just like to look around at people and be thinking about people uh, when I'm doing it. And I was sat in a seat, uh, writing, writing my thoughts, going my thoughts on this. And um, uh, immediately behind me, uh, a bloke sat down. He was of, dare I put it, of significant girth. Um, and uh, he sat down in his chair and sort of rammed me as he did so. So, so I sort of bumped like that. And, okay. Move my table forward a little bit, move my chair forward. Within the next five minutes, about three times, and you think, what is your problem? What is your problem? You could move. Why are you doing that, oh man of ample girth? There's still room for you. And I was just, you know, is he just the, the sort of fourth time I thought, I've had it. And so, you know, is he, you know, just wait, one, two, three, you know, and gave him a, gave him a good, and then turned around and very civilised, said, should we move our tables a bit so we don't jog one another? And he sort of scowled at me. I thought, where was I? Verse 15, let the peace, oh, oh no, as I turn back, let the peace of Christ, oh golly, is that, oh golly. It's not hard, it's very easy to do that, isn't it? Do I instinctively want peace, or do I just want to assert myself? Someone is being deeply unreasonable. I shall, mm, and then try to make peace with them after I've had a good yank or a good kick at them. In a church setting, just let peace rule and put aside your own little issues. Peace is more important. How do you do that? Well, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we want to develop this sort of wonderful community, then the word of Christ needs to be amongst us, corporately. We need to talk. Authentic teaching about Christ needs to be at the centre of our activities and conversations. Now, you know, obviously, <laughs> there's a daft way of suggesting that. You know, we can have conversations afterwards. Did you, know, did you see any of the uh, Winter Olympics? I did, but Jesus is better than the Winter Olympics, isn't he? And we need to talk about him. Well, you could do, you could be trying about it, or actually just more naturally, as we're talking about things, you know, what difference does it make being a Christian? Rough time? Wasn't it good in chapter one of Colossians, being reminded that Christ rules over all? You could do that in a way that's annoying and irritating, of course you could. But he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell amongst us. Singing, but also if you get this list first of all, sorry, uh, positively and negatively, as you teach and admonish one another, as we positively teach and negatively admonish. It doesn't say, uh, verse 16, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly as the bloke up the front teaches and admonishes you, but as you teach and admonish one another. 
this is something we all do in a church. We may not instinctively like that. Well, we might, it depends on our camera. Brilliant, I get, you know, we should all be teaching and admonishing. There are one or two people in church I think I could helpfully admonish, you know. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and today's the day, because we heard it from the front. Um, no one instinctively likes being admonished. Uh, and I guess this only works if it's done with verse 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But to grow a mature church where it's a delight to be, it does need those sort of conversations which say, I don't know, brother, you know I love you very much. Would you, would you just let me ask a question? Do you think you're wallowing a little bit in self-pity? I know it's tough right now. Do you, is that helpful for me to say to you? Or, friend, look, I may not be the best person to, t- to say this, suggest this. I may be completely wrong, but I often find in conversation you can be quite critical of other people or, or of her in particular. Is that right? I don't know. Go away and think about it. I may have got it completely wrong. And, of course, if someone says something like that to you, what do you want to do? Inherently, you want to justify yourself. No, that's not fair. You're far more worse than me. I don't know. You just sometimes just say nothing. Say, oh, okay, well, what I'd like to do is retaliate and point out all your flaws, but I'm not. I'm just going to go away and think about that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and off the, I don't know. Let the word of Christ dwell in you as you teach and admonish one another. But you've got to get the word of Christ in, as Simon said at the beginning, authentic teaching of him. But above all, or finally, as he says there, let the name of Christ be thanked. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see how common that comes? Verse 15, end of verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16 ends with gratitude. Verse 17, give thanks. We've had it three other times in the letter already. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Because thankfulness is a great stimulus to godly living. And resentment is not. So as he says there, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. In other words, stop your navel-gazing and look up at him. Much easier to forgive someone when you're looking up at what Christ has done for you and he's forgiven you. Much easier to endure bear with someone who's treated you badly when you've confessed your own sins and known how wonderfully God has been kind to you and forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Keep being thankful. Look up at him. Be distracted by him. No, more than that, isn't it? Give thanks to him for how he has treated you. Let that change you so you treat others similarly. In the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a lovely picture 
of a church where the people are compassionate and gentle and patient and forbearing and forgiving. And we recognize that according to your word, that is not natural. That is a supernatural work of your spirit done because there is fresh life running through the Christian and done as we look to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, as we fix our eyes on him, how he has treated us. So you will give us the strength, the grace to treat others similarly. So we'll be those who give thanks and love one another. Amen.